Who's looking forward to Easter? Who's already had a hot cross bun? <laughs> yes, they released them just after Christmas. <laughs> so we're leading into Easter. And I think I, I told you last week, I've got my Easter message already prepared. And so we're leading into that. And as I think I explained, the, the letters of John are probably the last letters written by an apostle who actually walked with Jesus to the church. And so we're as far in New Testament time as we can get from the actual crucifixion to when John wrote these letters. And so, I don't know, no, I was going to say there was a, fam a famous line in one of the goon shows which uh, were broadcast probably many years before most of you were born, uh, in which uh, Nettie Seagoon was walking backwards to Christmas. Um, but as it's not a current sort of thing, I won't even mention it. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, I did. <laughs> so why are we doing this, you might ask? Because John is actually someone who saw the crucifixion and he's ministering to a group of people who probably have only had second-hand news of the crucifixion. And so they're, they're relying on him as, as one of the last eyewitnesses, if you like. But they are relying on almost hearsay to know what happened on that fateful weekend. And so in some ways, it's a bit like us. Uh, I'm pretty sure that none of us here actually personally experienced the crucifixion. No, no objections there, good. So none of us here are quite that old which is good. So what would Pete, John say to people whose faith is under pressure, because this is why he's writing these letters, to Christians today? Well, let's find out. To John. I'm going to read you the whole book of To John. Are you ready? It's only 13 verses, don't panic. It's very, this is one of the shorter, this is like we would consider a letter. Some of us would have the fortitude to actually write a letter this long if we actually wrote letters. So this letter is from John the Elder. So I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Let me just stop there for a minute. He is actually not writing to a woman and her children. The lady and her children is actually code for the church. So think of it, you are the children of the church. The church is often referred to as the bride of Christ. Therefore, referring to the church as a lady is not unusual. Grace, mercy, and peace, which comes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we've had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us, to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. 
Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you might re- you receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink. For I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. Greetings from the children of your sister, chosen by God. There you go. For a scripture, that's pretty short and sweet. It's pretty lacking in flowery phrases and stories or parables. It's a straight to the point letter. And it contains three things in it. There's encouragement, there's exhortation, and there's a warning. And so John, John is sending this letter to the church in the light of false theology that's come to light. And you sort of think, why did he write a letter? Why is he so worried about it? Who's ever spoken to somebody who doesn't believe what they believe? Who's, who, has anybody ever spoken to another Christian, and I say this quietly, who's had squirrely ideas? <laughs> and yet, sort of, it, it, it doesn't affect us as much because our, our communication style today is quite different. We have to put up with things like Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat, most of, 99% of which the messages you get, you either just glance at and ignore or ignore totally and, and you, you sit, we sift through a lot of stuff to find the meaning in it but when these people were coming into the church the power of the spoken message was a lot more powerful than it is today the church was built with verbal communication between communities so they, they couldn't ring each other up they didn't have mobile phones they couldn't speak to Harry in, in the next town you know if you're in Antioch and and, and Harry's in uh, Colossae, you can't just ring him up and say, how's the church going over there? What did your pastor preach this morning? Oh, cool. That's excellent. Yeah, we had yeah, much the same. Yeah, it was good. You couldn't do that. That sort of conversation happened over months. You got a letter from Harry in Colossae three months after he'd written it saying that they had a great Sunday. And so you sit down, you write a letter, and three months later, Harry gets the reply saying, yeah, we had a good Sunday too. And so people coming in from various Christian communities and preaching the word of God was the only way of communication. And so if somebody came in and preached something that wasn't what you'd heard before, it would generate a huge amount of interest. There'd be people sitting in the pews. Mike, did you hear what he said? I haven't heard. What are you, have you heard that before, Nathan? That seems a bit weird to me. What do you think? And some people would say, yeah, they're a bit weird. And some would say, no, I like it. I like what they're saying. And so the, the, the whole church would be embroiled in conversation until the next person came along. And they might have come from a, a different Christian community. And so people would say, you know, Chris, uh, you know, Brendan told us this last week. What, what, what do you think of that? And Chris might say, well, yeah, 
That, that's something that we've, we've come to realize is, is in the gospel message that we hadn't realized before. And so it becomes doctrine. Well, Chris might say, don't listen to Brendan. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Forget what he said. He, he's off the rails. And I'm reporting him to John next time I see him. And so the power of the spoken word could be quite powerful and quite divisive in a, in a church. And so he, John has either received something from, by messenger, uh, a verbal report, or he's received a letter from that church saying that this is what's happening. And so he has one of two choices. He said that he, he wants to get to the church and speak to them in person, but he can't do it at the moment. And so he's written this letter. And it's not, he hasn't sat there and texted or put a message on Facebook, you know, taken a selfie, said, hi guys, John here. Just want you to read the little message below and be well, thinking of you. It's not a communication like that. He's sat down. He's realized the pain these people are in because a community that divided amongst itself is in pain. And there's doubt and uncertainty creeping in. So his letter writing is designed to actually allay their fears, to encourage them, to exhort them to return to the worship of God and a warning about what false doctrine will do to them. And so it comes with great authority. You might notice that he starts off from John the Elder. Now, it's not like this is from John, the old man. He's not trying to say, you know, don't listen to me. I'm the old decrepit John. Uh, he's saying, look, this is from John, the elder. This is from John, who is old enough to have walked with Jesus Christ. I have some authority here. This is John, who is old enough to have walked through church planting and church growth seminars and, and all of these things. I've, I've got some experience backing what I say. And so he starts off by reminding them that he is an authority. And so his words carry great weight, and the statements that he made would have profoundly affected the recipients. They would have hung on every word as it was read out. They, they would have, they would have, it's a bit like, can I I'll borrow a seat again? You're sitting here, and uh, somebody gets up the front and reads John's letter, and he's saying, the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. And you can imagine that there's this sort of sigh of relief of, from the congregation <laughs> because the words hit them. They're there in doubt about what their spiritual life is. And suddenly they're reading from John, who's an authority, he says, the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. And it's like, oh, the truth's in us. The truth, that's right, I remember. This is what we've been told from the beginning. God, grace, peace, and mercy come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, and they'll continue to be with us if we live in love and truth. And suddenly the whole congregation's getting excited. That's your cue, by the way. Uh, <laughs> they're sort of thinking, phew, at least somebody we trust and know is telling us that, we, that things are right with us, that God is for us, not against us, that his love and grace and mercy haven't disappeared on us because of the person of Jesus Christ has come. Because you realize if Jesus Christ didn't come as a person and the Spirit wasn't in him, then that means that we can't have the Spirit in us. 
I mean, this is a big deal. And they, so they were, they were in fear of their eternal lives because they were thinking, well, if Jesus Christ didn't come in person, what about that promise? And so they're sort of thinking, you know, it's, it's that, what do they call it? FOMO, fear of missing out. Somebody suddenly come with an alternative and they're not sure whether they've backed the wrong horse. The, the, the things that they've put into their lives which are, are giving them eternal salvation. Are they the right things or not? Somebody else has come up with a different idea. Jesus didn't die. You don't have to follow what Jesus said. He, he was just a good man and the Holy Spirit visited him occasionally. But all that other stuff, forget it. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be good. You, you don't have to treat your neighbour well. You don't, you don't have to come together and worship God. That, that's, and so he, the doubt that was sown is suddenly cleared up by a simple statement from authority. Don't worry. Jesus is, lives in you. You who live in the truth will always have Jesus' love, grace, and mercy. And so they, they were really excited, a lot more excited than you guys. Um, and so John makes these quick and simple statements. In 1 John that we, we talked about last week, he makes the use of what, what are actually called slogans. Uh, we often memorize them as scriptures, but back then they were... People, because they didn't have a written reference, the New Testament wasn't printed yet. In fact, not a lot of it was even on papyrus scrolls. The, the only written Bible they had was the Old Testament. And so when letters came from Paul and John and Peter, they actually memorized things and they used them as slogans. Here's one, 1 John uh, 1.10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And they memorized that and they'd, they'd live by that. You know, we are, we are sinners. But the great thing is that God has redeemed us. But to deny that we sin makes a liar of God. And so they memorized these things. 1 John 2 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. So these were phrases that they used to encourage themselves. And they became slogans in the church. People would shout them out. But in John 2, in 2 John rather, he's far more concerned with reviving the faith of a doubting congregation. He sticks to simpler statements to remind people of certain truths. So the one we just said, 2 John 2, because the truth lives in us and he will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace will be, continue to be with us who live in truth and love. I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. Sometimes we need a reminder. We should love one another. Turn to the person next to you and say, I should love you. <laughs> I th thought we'd better say that. The other could be politically incorrect. Um, 2 John 6, love means doing what God has commanded us and he has commanded us to love one another. See, these truths hit home in a, in a powerful way that we sometimes struggle to understand. This was, this was water and food that a, a starving group of Christians were waiting to receive. What John spoke to them, or what he conveyed in his letter, was a breath of fresh air that enabled them to relax and keep walking with Jesus. So the, the, the letters were very important. And so as we approach Easter, which is the central 
pivot of our faith, the fact that Jesus actually died and was resurrected. Our whole faith hangs on that. If Jesus didn't rise again, then our faith means nothing. This this is something which is is pivotal to our whole faith. And so it's an important part of our faith journey and our, our, our revelation for faith. And you can imagine, even 70 years on, when John wrote these letters, these people who had never actually witnessed the, the death and resurrection of Jesus would, were being torn, about by, torn apart by people who had come in and sown doubt in their midst. Imagine how much easier it is, it is 2,000 years later to come in and sow doubt. You don't have to look far on the internet to find somebody who has an opposing view um, and they're not usually polite about it. Um, I've noticed that the internet is one of the most impolite places on earth. Um, everybody's an expert. And you know what an expert is? It's a has-been under pressure. Never mind. Old joke. So we can see why this message that John is bringing to these people is important for us today. We need to remind ourselves of simple facts, that we are called to obey God's commandments, that the truth is in us, if we are in Christ, that's an incredibly powerful statement. The truth is in you. You're all looking nervous. As though I've come in here to, to talk to you, Mark and Rebecca. Oh, th- this has nothing to do with my message, by the way. Um, it's just something I was thinking on the other night, uh, about your, your walk um, with God. And I, I saw a pagan God, I'm sorry. I, I know this is supposed to be all about God, but who knows about the God of doors, the Roman God of doors, Janus? Above every door there was a face, and it faced both ways. And I saw that as an example of what God actually wants to do in your relationship, more like a coin. Sorry, Loretta, I'll pray for your toe later. Um, <laughs> You're actually two, two sides of the same coin, completely joined, completely one in Jesus, but you're the opposite face. And I believe the, the word God has for you is you are incredibly powerful in different ways, but together. You, it's like you can't saw a coin in half, it loses its value. You are together as one, but different faces of the same faith, different faces of the same walk. If you can walk in that, God is actually going to multiply what you do beyond your imagination. Brendan, you're looking good today. (laughs) Uh, Now, can we all stand, please? Seems, it seems to be a morning where the sort of idea of doubt has permeated. Distraction, I talked about distraction 
at the end of worship. So I just want to pray before we finish this morning and address our fallibility, our lack of focus, concentration that sometimes inflicts us and just encourage people that God does meet us where we are but his desire is not to leave us there. And so Lord, I pray right now that the people under the sound of my voice are yours. That they hear your voice. That they heed your call. And that you are gracious and loving enough to meet us all where we are at. But there is always that tug, that yearning, that beckoning from you to move forward, to be better than we are, to be more faithful than we are, to be holier than we are. And so, Lord, I pray right now that the breath of your Spirit fills every single one of us so that we feel accepted by you but also challenged by you, loved by you, but ready to be improved by you. We thank you that we are moulded by the presence of your Spirit in our lives to be the you that you see. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before we close, if, you, if you're someone here this morning and you feel that you're not actually part of God's family, you've never actually said to God, I want to be a part of your family, but you'd actually like to make that decision this morning, I'd like to pray a prayer with you, a simple prayer that invites God into your life. You may have actually done this before, but realized that you might have meant it at the time, but the meaning of that prayer has diminished in your life and you're not following Jesus anymore. God, it's the God of not just one chance, but 70 times 7 chances. That's a lot, possibly even more. And so I want to offer you an opportunity this morning as we close to say, yes, Lord, I, I want to be a child of God. I want to follow you. I want the rest of my life to be different than it is now. And if that is you, I'd love to pray a prayer to invite Jesus into your life with you. But, well, I need to know who you are. So I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes right now. And if that is you, you've never actually accepted Jesus into your life, or you have, but you know you're not walking with him. I want you to raise your hand right now while nobody's looking around so that I can see it. And I want to pray a prayer with you to invite Jesus into your life, to start a new walk with him. Is there anyone here this morning? Raise it nice and high. Awesome. Open your eyes. Give the Lord a clap offering. Come on. Mighty God. Holy Lord. We thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, God, that you are invested in your church. 
Halleluja. Amen.